Hey friends, this is Fun Therapy, and my name is Mike Foster, and together we're going to dive into the messy and brutal but incredibly beautiful parts of our lives, and we do it with a smile. And around here we believe the best question is not why, not why did it happen or why does it hurt so bad, but the question that truly requires next level grit and courage and a wild faith is the question that asks, what? What blessings am I touching today? What gift showed itself from within the fire? What does life offer in this important moment? It's not about the question why, but the question what? What can I embrace and what embraces me today? My name is Mike Foster and this is Fun Therapy. Hey friends, I'm so glad you're here. Uh, So I don't know if you can believe this or not, but we're almost at the end of season two. We just have a few episodes left. And once again, we're kind of at a critical spot in terms of where we go from here. Uh, And we are definitely asking ourselves, you know, what's next question? And so, as you know, my, my only goal with this podcast has been to create something that helps us not feel so alone and to remind all of us that we are loved. And my, uh, my mission around here has always been to make people feel free and to invite them to surrender their limitations. And I truly believe that if a deep wound to the soul is possible, then a deep healing is also possible. And so I wanna, I wanna hear from you. Uh, this is an important time. And if you enjoy this program, can you make sure to rate it? And more importantly, subscribe to it. This is huge for the sustainability of this podcast and maybe right now more than ever. Uh, So can you share it with some people? Again, we're at this critical place of almost being sustainable, but honestly, we're not there yet. And um, we're close, but not there. And so invite some people into this place, uh, share the, the podcast direct link, help people find it show them where to find it, help them become a part of this community. And by the way, I'll also be announcing some important fun therapy updates on my Instagram in the next week or so about, you know, just some news about what the future looks like. So make sure to follow me over there. Um, Mike Foster 2000 on Instagram, Mike Foster 2000. And it's just a great way for me to keep in touch with you and kind of keep you um, abreast of the things that are going on here. And as usual, I want to tell you about my workshop, Rescue Academy. Uh, We've just been having a blast at the workshop. These are selling out pretty fast these days, by the way, mostly thanks to you. Our summer workshop built up in like two weeks. So if you want to come hang with me in San Diego, uh, rescueacademy.com. By the way, we have this really cool promotion going on for early registration. If you register early, uh, we are offering two free nights at a five-star hotel when you come to the workshop and it is a nice hotel i'm telling you it's a a five star uh here in uh, carlsbad california we're just a couple minutes from the beach and so if you want to come join us uh, make sure to do that rescueacademy.com and make sure to register early so you can get that promotion 
Also, I have had a lot of requests about doing one-on-one stuff like counseling and coaching, and I do do that in a limited way uh, through my practice called Strategic Wholeness, and you can learn more about that at uh, mikefoster.tv and just click on the private coaching. It's it's basically a two-day intensive where we work on one in a one-on-one setting uh, on purpose and calling and creating language for your life, and we look at location and personal domain and your spiritual domain and friends and community and really designing a life that uh, you are always intended to live. And it's, listen, it's not for everyone, but if you're looking to transition something or you feel stuck in a particular area or just wanting to sharpen your leadership impact on the world, this might be something for you. So mikefoster.tv, click on private coaching for more, more information. All right, friends, let's dive in. So on this episode of Fun Therapy, I chat with a brand new friend, Jedediah Jenkins. He is a social influencer, a professional adventurer. He was the chief creative and filmmaker at Invisible Children for many years. And he is the author of the book, To Shake the Sleeping Self, where he shares his life and lessons and observations about the world we all live in. So I uh, went out to LA and spent the morning with Jedediah and we sat in his converted garage, which was kind of like a speakeasy. And we sat on a couple leather chairs and discussed writing and dealing with rejection, sexuality, and the importance of kindness. Uh, by the way, you will hear birds chirping and singing in the background of this episode and helicopters going overhead and just life all around us as we talked, which is, I think, the perfect background for our lovely discussions. And now this session of Fun Therapy. The difference between writing on paper and writing on a screen, I would say, I don't write on paper very much. Like, so much so, I'm such a millennial that it actually makes my hand really tired Mm. because I can almost type as fast as I can think. And handwriting forces me to slow down, which can sometimes improve the clarity of thought. Uh, You know, because I like revise as I go, whereas typing, it comes out, and then I go back and I rethink. But I don't really write by hand very much at all. For me, the difference, the interesting thing, this relatively new to the human experience, is writing something that is then responded to by the public almost in real time. Like, I can just be sitting in my underwear on the couch and think something that is profound to, to me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I've never thought about it that way. I can pull out my phone, beep, bop, boop, boop, and just talk to strangers. Yeah. Like, and then have them respond to it and then like have a conversation and think differently. And, and I'm like, that is, that's kind of new, you know? Um, do you like it? Yes, I do. I mean, my... The, the reason I wanted to become a writer is because 
the way I respond to writing is my favorite feeling in the world. Like when I have an aha moment, like the way Oprah talks about her, when I'm reading something and the word just like lands on me and I'm like, that is exactly what I believe, but I never had words for it, but somehow I always knew it was true and this writer just gave it to me. She like landed it. That's, I'm like, that is what I wanna give to the world is that magical moment. And so when I can do that and then experience the joy of that happening to someone almost like three minutes later, that is incredible. Yeah. And that's like, I mean, I would guess the only thing similar to that is like a stand-up comedian experiencing people laughing at their jokes right away. Yeah. Like you get that, that experience of being funny and the glow of the audience right away. And that's why they love it. And also why it's so scary when it doesn't land. And I've read about, cause I have my book coming out and I'm- And when does it come out? October 2nd. And I'm not nervous, but I am nervous. You know, I'm not a nervous person, but, but I've, I've been reading these books about authors writing about the craft and about the business and about life as an author. And people talk about published day is almost a letdown because it's just like, you know, you cheers your champagne and then you're like, now what? Like we just sit around and wait. That's and actually a good way to describe it. Actually, yeah. I, I think that's a very accurate. You're just like, it's well, kind of anticlimactic. Great. Yeah. And then they're like, that that makes the weight of a critic's reviewer or Amazon reviews or blah blah blah, blah, blah so much heavier because you're that like. You can't feel if people are responding to it or not. You don't know. They're sitting in the privacy of their home, quietly reading, and maybe they'll tell their friend, but you're not there to hear it. And the response is slower. Right. Whereas like with the internet, like I feel the response to my writing instantly all the time. Yeah. And so, and that's all I want to bring to the world is that sense of aha or that sense of wow, he under like he gets me or you put words to what I couldn't find words for. And so I've already accomplished the thing that I want to do on this planet in, in nuggets. Mm -hmm. And so really the book is just this opportunity to like tell my story in a longer form and give people a new experience and f feel like I accomplished something in my lazy life. But Your lazy life. <laughs> it feels lazy because it's because I enjoy it. You know, so, so you so so tell me about just um, enjoying life. What does that mean for you? I I don't know why, and maybe this like hard work it, to me is synonymous with like hating doing something. Like, and I there have been times where. I'm working on a project or at Invisible Children, we'd be like staying up all night working on a campaign and I wouldn't even notice we stayed up all night because it was so fun. It's not that it was just fun, fun is too small a word. It was so purposeful and it was so clear. And also like with people that I loved and people I respected, like that, that cocktail of ingredients, doing something of purpose with people you respect and love that are fun, that is creative, that perfect storm of ingredients makes hard work still hard, but like a different caliber than like doing something brutal and annoying. Mm.
One of the things I admire about Jedediah is that he desires to live life to the fullest. He chooses work and adventure and a life that matters to him, even if people don't understand. And as we chatted in the garage, it seemed to me that he was someone who had explored many aspects of life and the human experience and through the valleys and the questions and the mountaintop experiences, it had a powerful awakening to all that life offers. That each day he is seeking to live his life freely. The thing I know about free people is that their stories lighten the burdens that we all carry. Their life, their work, their thoughts free those who still feel the weight of the captivity. This awakening is often messy and a complicated journey that sometimes we just stumble into. It looks different for everyone, but it is clear that Jedediah is living from this place and discovering new things about the world and the people that he meets along the way. So as we continue to talk with, of course, a few LA helicopters flying overhead, we begin to dive into his own journey and what he calls the true burden of his life. I think therapy in general needs a a rebrand. Yeah, it really does. It's so, I mean, it is so crucial to to like do the work of unpacking our our true motives and the the things we carry. Mm. Everyone's carrying things. And so either you look and see what they are or you pretend they're not there and you like hurt your back. And, it, and you can really hurt your back. Yes, and destroy your life. So tell me about um, what are things that you've carried that you've had to process over the years? I mean, I would say, first and foremost, I've lived a very full of love, privileged life. Unconditional love for my parents. Not really bullied, good schools, yada, yada. So in the context of relative safety, I have I really carried being raised in the evangelical world of the, of the South of Tennessee and realizing at a young age that I was like different hmm. and realizing in third grade that I was different and not knowing and then realizing in seventh grade that it was called being gay and quickly knowing that that was bad. Hmm. and then hiding from it and hoping it would go away and then realizing it wouldn't through high school and then moving to college and and doubling down on my faith of faith in God and in scripture and hoping that that would take away this thing that makes me unsanitary or incomplete and just like grappling with belonging and community and the meaning of the universe and God and being a good boy and all these things like that has really been the true burden of my life. And it's that in other lives and in other people manifests very differently. In mine, it's been the hardest thing and is a huge part of what my book is about, a huge part of, I think, where my personality comes from. But I don't want to pretend like I've had some horrible life. It's been 
challenging and and full of ups and downs, but more ups and downs. So tell me about um, so tell me about that. Working through that, thinking about that, what was some of the the harder parts of that journey with that carrying that particular piece of who you are? Well, it's the <clears throat> it's the struggle between basically Emersonian self-reliance of like you learn through experience and you learn through testing the universe on your own versus tradition and the lessons passed down from above. So growing up feeling like it doesn't feel like a sin for me to fall in love with whoever I want to fall in love with and like have a family and be committed to each other. Like that, that doesn't make sense that that's wrong. But then 3,000, 5,000 years of Judeo-Christian history is telling me that it is an abomination unworthy of heaven. And, and so I'm like, wow, how is my one little 20 years on this planet overriding 3,000 years of passed down human tradition? And I don't feel in my heart of hearts the judgment of God on this, but scripture is telling me that it is. And so how do I be true to myself? We live in, in the United States and in Western culture, individual, individualistic, you know, self-realization, entitlement, all these things. We don't really live in a traditional culture where it's obvious that you do what your mother says and you're match made and you have as many kids as you can. You like follow your hopes and dreams and do what is your passion, which which is counter narrative to traditional tradition, you know? I mean, and you, if you watch like every 20th century American movie, that's the story is the kid being like, no dad, I don't wanna be you. I'm gonna be me and run off to the here and do my own thing. That's like the Little Mermaid. That's like every movie mm -hmm. is that American ideal versus where we came from. And so that like played out in my own life. And the fear of loss of your family, of the love of your parents, of the love of your community. And I'm a very social person. And so I'm like, and when I mean social, I don't just mean like going to parties. I mean like my identity is in social connection and relationship. And so I was like, wow, am I so horny that I'm gonna risk all this? Like maybe I should just be celibate and keep it like copacetic, like keep it chill. Um, that's easier than risking it all for a kiss. So tell me about, um, I would imagine as you're processing this as a kid and growing up in the South and growing up with theology, uh, pretty traditional theology, um, speaking very loudly into your life, what, uh, I, I just would imagine there's been some relational wounding along the way for you, where people have hurt you, said things to you, rejected you as, as you're processing this. Yeah, you know, I, people have said hurtful things, 
But what's tricky is that I, so it's the combination of life circumstance and then also your just natural makeup. Like my disposition of my DNA mixed with whatever's happening happening around me. That's like that mixture is what is life. And so I am a person who really seeks understanding because when I don't when I don't get it and when something hurts me, I don't know why I have this disposition, but I'm always like that person has a perspective that they think they're doing the right thing. So I don't I've always had a trouble like believing in evil because I'm like they think they're good, you know. Um, and so the tricky thing is, I remember very early on when I realized my sexuality and when I real, and when I realized straight people having a, especially straight men, having a repulsion to me, not me, but what I am, my sexuality. So I never felt they were repulsed by me, but I would hear them like talk about how gross gay people are. And I remember thinking, if I was raised alone on a desert island, and maybe I had magazines to look at or something, I would think being straight was disgusting. Like, if it was just a culture of gays on an island, I think that probably exists somewhere. Um, it sounds fun. But they, like, I, if I was raised up, I would think, and I'd never heard of a straight person, and then I saw these like men who like wanted to do things to female body parts, I would be like, that person needs to be burned at this. That is disgusting. Like, they must be mentally ill. That's crazy. And, like, once I realized that I, if, if it wasn't totally ubiquitous and normal to be straight, I would think it was weird and gross. And so when the tables are turned, just because I'm not in power doesn't mean that I can't empathize with, like, what that would look like if I was in power and if I was abusing that power. So... Even when people would say things to me, I would be like, you, you don't see what I see, but I get where you're coming from. So I'm not mad at you for thinking that, but let me just give you another perspective, you know? And that was, I mean, even from the beginning, that was my angle. As Jedediah shared about his sexuality and how certain individuals would respond in a negative way, I appreciated his overall approach because certainly the words would hurt, they would sting, they would make a dent. One of the things that I appreciate about Jedediah's response is that when he was hurt by this rejection, these cruel words, he, he didn't look to judge but to understand. Instead of attacking, he chose empathy. He tried to enter into their perspective. And I'm not sure if you caught this either when he said that when people would say these cruel things about his sexuality or make fun of it or joke about it, it he said that they were rejecting his sexuality, not him as a person. And this is a very important concept and distinction about rejection that we often get tripped up by. Too often we allow the criticism to take on too much meaning. We give it too much power. 
And instead of processing it as a specific rejection of some aspect of ourselves, we allow it to be a a full rebuke of our entire personhood. Perhaps there's some things in your life right now where somebody's words and their criticism of you has seeped into too many places, places it was never intended for, that the unkind words and the rejections have paralyzed you by allowing it to occupy too much space in how you see yourself. Feels like, um, and what, what a gracious and very uh, compassionate view of how other people might misunderstand or hurt you or say things that would be uninformed. You know what? I think, I think people are hurt. And, and hurt by things people say when it threatens their sense of safety or being loved in relationship. So I agree. That is like the, from what I can perceive, the root of why something would be offended. Like if you were offended, it means the way you thought you were safe has suddenly been rocked. And... I was so loved by my family and my community and my friends and just like I always, maybe my personality, maybe being funny, maybe whatever, like I always felt like I had a seat at the table. And so like that's my whole life I've been relatively unoffendable because I'm like, well, and maybe that's purely brain chemistry perspective. Maybe people didn't want me around, but I thought they did. So I just stayed, you know. I, I, it might have been mental illness, but I was like, "I'm." People like me, you know. And I've never really thought about that they might not have, but I, I just kind of like assumed that I belonged, and that has made such a big difference in my life because I'm not walking in a room wondering if people want me gone. A friend of mine, or an acquaintance, I just kind of know this person. Um, said that he wasn't going to go to a party because he had a zit on his face. And I was like, are you serious? You're not going to go to this party? It's like a huge, like, you don't even, you're not even going to see anybody. It's like dark. What are you worried about? And he was like, no, I'm not going. I'm like, what? Why? Because I look ugly and I feel gross. And I'm like, you're joking. No, I'm not joking. And I'm like, oh my God, you're not joking. Like, and in my mind, I'm like, this is the vainest person on earth. So then I'm like, then I'm catty and gross and I screenshot it and show it to a friend. And I'm like, look how vain this person is. And I hardly know this person that I screenshot. I'm just like, can you believe that this is how humans think? And they're like, yeah, humans like really struggle with that. You know, that's a human thing. And like, as I was like processing this with one of my friends, I was like, oh, everybody just wants to bring something to the table. And I, in my subconscious, know that no matter what I look like, as long as I can talk and like gesture around and have a good conversation, then I'm fine. And so I'm not worried about my face. 
you know? If I did a chemical peel and I looked like crazy, I'd still go. I'm like, look at my face. I'd make a joke out of it. But if you're not confident in the other things and you're confident in your pr presentation and then that is thrown in whack, you'd be like, I'm not going to that. It'll make me feel dumb. And it was like, it, I don't know why it just transposed this whole experience of understanding on me. I'm like, oh, everybody is insecure or nervous about whatever they're bringing to the table. And if that is thrown off, then it's thrown off. Like, you don't need to like sit in judgment of why. If I, I felt really sick and really tired where I like felt like I couldn't contribute and I'm like, I'm not going to that. I'll, I'll sound like an idiot. And that's the same. Maybe, I don't know. It, it was just this moment of understanding where I was like, wow, I was judging this person so hard when really they're just trying to bring to the table what they can. Yeah, it almost feels like um, you're either overflowing with love and belonging and security or there's a scarcity there. Exactly. And the smallest thing, if there's scarcity, the smallest thing can really rock your world. Perfectly said. It's like that the concept of scarcity, I do not have it. I just, I'm like, there's room for everybody around here, you know? And there's certainly room for me if there's room for everybody. So let's roll. And that is, I don't know where that comes from. I, I mean, I've, I think it comes from being raised in a way where I didn't feel like I had to perform or be someone that I wasn't for, to earn the love of my parents. That's, I think, a big piece. But then there are other pieces, because I know loving parents who have really troubled kids, and, you know, there's lots going on and all that. But What do you think is the, the thing for you um, besides your parents um, that really has given you the perspective that you think you, that the overflowing perspective, the, the confidence to be who you are. Did you learn it through lessons of life or did you, was there somebody who just really called out kind of your value and your worth and who you were and spoken to you? Like, was there, has it just been an ongoing process? I think it's an ongoing process. I would say, I have this like unprofessional theory, lay theory, which is when you're a gay kid growing up in a world that's not made for you, or really any kind of level of marginalized person, that, that, is, that you discover that marginalization at an early age, all of a sudden when it dawns on you that the world was not made for you, you start to study the world, which is why a lot of minority position people become artists. You look in the art f field and there's just like so many gay people, so many people of color, so many women, like these people, because they're like, hmm, this is weird. Let me, let me remix it. Let me turn it into something I can control. Like all, the, like all these people become singers, actors, artists, painters, songwriters, and because I think they're trying to make sense of a world that maybe frightens them or confuses them. And so from an early age, when I started to look around being like, this is not working out like I thought it would, or it's not, I'm not fitting into this conveyor belt quite like these other people around me, then 
my brain became very spongy and I was like, okay, how am I going to fit? Like, how am I going to get, how am I going to belong? I'm not Johnny High School. I'm not a pretty girl. I'm not that. I'm not that. And what I think I might be is actually not okay. So let me work on my comedy. Let me work on my uh, conversation skills. Let me be quick-witted and smart. And like, let me be friends with the teachers. That was an early one for me. Because like, they are like paid to be nice to me, kind of. So like, I can do that. And then, and it was kind of me figuring out how to stay out of trouble and fit in, which every seventh grader, eighth grader is doing. Um, and then as I would test the waters and I would get rewarded here or burned here, I would move towards the reward, you know, like chemistry. And then, oh, okay, when I make jokes, oh, this person likes me now. Oh, if I'm mean, it creates drama. If I'm nice, people like me. And I remember in seventh grade, I, there was a moment of crisis, a moment a crossroads where a kid was mean to me for having a high-pitched girly voice and he asked he was like made fun of me for being a girl dressed like a boy and I was so angry I wanted to hate him and I was like <sighs> and it was like my first day at a new school too and I was like okay am I going to hate this person and be so mean to him forever and become an angry, become like the mean guy, the angry guy, or is 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 this guy mistaken? And there's no business being mean to me. I'm nice. I'm a good person, so I can just prove him wrong. And I like literally, it wasn't the choice was made because I I thought being angry is so exhausting. Being nice is so easy. I'm just gonna be nice, and that was like. From that moment, I was like, I just, it's so much easier to be kind and let it roll off your back and and make them fall on their own sword if they're going to be mean to you. And so it was just that kind of chemistry of like figuring out how I'm going to make it in this world and, and moving towards things that rewarded me that helped me process feeling like an alien. Oh, I love that thought, and it so resonates with me, and maybe you too, that it's so much easier to be kind. That life just works better when we choose to love others. As Jedediah shared about his unprofessional opinion about what happens when you're marginalized, when you realize that the world was not built for you, you begin to notice the world, to see things in the world that others might not see because you're trying to make sense of a place that scares you and confuses you, and you're trying to figure out why you can't belong. I truly believe what Jedediah is describing is the gift that is found within the pain, is why we must listen to the marginalized. The misfits are our teachers. The outcasts are our wise sages. When we listen to those who are different than us, we see the world as it truly is. My friends, this is why I believe every voice, every story matters. Now your perspective must be present in this conversation we're having about 
what kind of world we are creating. Don't stay in the shadows. Don't quiet your voice. Don't don't remove yourself from the discussion because you feel you're not enough. Write your books and paint your art. Sing your songs. Build the places where people belong. Or it is the marginalized that will guide us back to the beautiful places we're all searching for. Feels like you, maybe one of your advantages in your growing up, and sounds to me like early on as a as a child, is just your awareness,、mm. your ability to see what's going on in other people, but also to see what's going on in you, and like like that that、yeah. transaction is not a normal. Most people react to something like that, and sort of get, versus you're able to sort of see and be aware of things that maybe are not. Hmm, no one's ever told me that, but that I've always been aware of the driver driving the machine. Yes, like since I—I I mean, I remember being twelve and thinking. <laughs> I remember thinking, "Oh, I now have access to my long-term memory." Like before this, I was an animal only reacting to the world. And now, because I have access to what came before, I can adjust my decisions as I go. This is what it must feel like to be an adult. I remember exactly where I was when I thought that. That feels pretty self-aware to me. <laughs> <laughs> I've never thought about that before. Yeah, that was. It's funny. It, and do you think this? Because、uh, it could be, you know, awareness can be a double-edged sword too,、mm. in terms of.、Um, You know the ability to see things or be aware of things, of taking in a lot of data,、um, and trying to figure out, because it could be confusing too. Yeah, that's hard. It does. I mean, I'm. I used to really struggle with confusion in terms of it. I didn't. I felt like confusion was bad.、Mm. Now I feel like confusion is just. All the ingredients for a cake are just on the counter, and I'm like, I、uh, the recipe called for these, so I I'm gonna mix them together and see what happens. But on their own, it seems like chaos, you know. So I I'm okay with ingredients getting mixed in because I know they're baking something. Yeah, you know that's that now I I see that and I'm fine with it. But one thing I do know that is a cost of being. Aware and floating outside of myself, watching myself, is that sometimes I don't <clears throat> allow myself to allow my body to do what it needs to do to suffer, to feel pain. The moment I'm hurt, like heartbroken from a lost love, which I experienced last year for the first time, or things like that,、uh, I immediately become the professor watching. Because that makes me feel in control. That makes me feel safe. I like zoop. I my soul is watching, and it's hard for me to like suffer and sit. I mean, it's hard for everyone to suffer, but it's especially hard for an Enneagram Seven to like allow that to happen and just and let the body heal and let the soul ache and let it do what it's got to do. 
that's real. What's your um, what's your opinion or your fear of if you let too much suffering into if you allow that to come into your body and to process that? Is there some something that's resistant to allowing that happen? Something you believe about that? That's a great question. What for me, like suffer, I've never really experienced physical suffering. Like I've been hurt, I've had pain, but not like suffering. So really the only suffering I know is like anguish of just like not getting what I want or what I think I deserve or what I think ought to happen. And so to me, like, this, that suffering comes from, it feels like a spiritual failure. Because almost the, the way of the Zen master is to just let the river flow over you and go with it. Like, we don't know what we want. Everything belongs, like let it happen. And so when I fight against something that happens, I feel a spiritual failure. I'm like, oh, I'm trying to control the universe when it's busy doing its thing. I'm trying to control someone else, make them feel something, make them do something. When I can't, I can only be, I can only control me. And so that, I don't like that feeling and so I, I run from it. I mean, maybe everyone does. But. Well, it's, uh, you know, I talk about spiritual bypassing, that sometimes we, we jump to the spiritual so we don't have to feel the pain. Mm. Um, because you know, pain, pain doesn't often feel good, right? Like <laughs> suffering doesn't feel Hence, good. So we, yeah. we reach for that spiritual idea that will mm. cruise us into a more happy, yeah. joyful place. Yeah. Well, I mean, in that, to me, that's like one of the most profound, <sighs> as, as not a, I'm not a scientist, but if you're a scientist, looking at the benefits of the spiritual life, if you are being attacked or your family's being ravished by disease, the belief that God has a plan does a wonder, does a great amount of good. Whereas, oh, life is meaningless, this is meaningless, eh, that sucks, is like not inspiring. So I can understand that no matter what the spiritual belief, like that feeling of purpose and forward direction and that everything shakes out into a, into meaning is, is, is important for a life of purpose and fulfillment, like to feel good about it. So when things go wrong, like when I'm like, the universe knows what it's doing, God is busy. I'm, I always have this analogy of a quilt. It's like, Quilts are beautiful, but if you were like freaking out over the fact that there, if you're like, but we live the quilt thread by thread. So when one thread goes from green to blue to red, like you're freaking out at every color change because you're like, that's changing. Like it's not what it was, but we can't see the beautiful pattern outside it. Like God can, he's busy at the loom, just zig, 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 zig. And it looks like chaos up close and that kind of, that's very that gives me a lot of peace mm -hmm. but the pain of the like sewing and the sewing needle hurts
Well, thank you, Jedediah Jenkins, for your story, your insights, your life, and as an example just to all of us to help us move closer to kindness, kindness for each other and kindness for ourselves. Jedediah's new upcoming book, To Shake the Sleeping Self, is a soul-stirring read for the dreamer in each of us. He reflects on adventure and identity and how to live a life without regret. You can order it at Amazon.com or wherever great books are sold. Make sure to follow Jedediah on Instagram where he shares his life and his observations about the world we all live in. It is a great follow and you can find him at Jedediah Jenkins on Instagram. By the way, we, you know, we only have a few more episodes left on Fun Therapy, so please make sure to leave a review and rating. Let us know how you like this episode. Uh, subscribe, tell a few friends. Make sure to follow me at MikeFoster2000 on Instagram for some upcoming updates about uh, what's next. And make sure to hop on over to my website at MikeFoster.tv. I have my workshop coming up, RescueAcademy.com. And uh, yeah, just I'd love to see you there. So also want to say to thank you to Sleeping at Last for providing the music for this episode. Sleepingatlast.com. And you can find Ryan's music everywhere. Great music is played. Also want to say thanks to our friends at Relevant Podcast Network, the lovely and wonderful people over there, Jesse, Jessica, Chandler, and the team. So appreciate you guys. And thanks again, everyone, for listening. And remember, no matter what has happened in your story, that your setbacks can become your superpowers and honesty is always the best policy. We'll see you next time on the Fun Therapy Podcast. I'm Mike Foster. Relevant Podcast Network.